Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. In just a few blocks up the road from where we're broadcasting today on the other end of Constitution Avenue, Dr. Martin Luther King gave his historic I Have a Dream speech on August 28, 1963. To remember Dr. King's dedication to civil rights and the improving of race relations throughout the country, we're happy to have retired professor and now distinguished senior fellow at Texas Public Policy Foundation, Dr. Carol Swain. Dr. Carol Swain, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Dr. Swain, I have to ask you, Dr. King was at the center of the civil rights movement at a time when segregation was still legal, a time when racism was real and palpable and widespread. Uh, how was his approach and message different from what you would call modern-day civil rights activists now? I mean, it was diametrically uh, opposed to what they are doing today, the agenda. And I can tell you that King's approach was effective because during that time, we were a Judeo-Christian nation, and there was more respect for the Constitution than exists today. So he was able to appeal you know, to people's consciences in a way that galvanized, um, I would say, millions of people for support. And the beauty of the civil rights movement was that it brought people together across racial, ethnic, national lines. Uh, it was uh, a moment that America should be proud of because we did come together and we made a decision about what type of nation we wanted to become and we passed three major civil rights acts, and all of that was inspired by the civil rights movement, which you cannot se separate from Dr. King. So, Dr. Swain, how would you say if, if Dr. King were looking down right now at our current state of uh, the nation, if you will, in terms of race relations, civil rights, and just, you know, the, the whole, you know, every as a whole, how would he be uh, viewing things right now? I believe that he would be appalled at the behaviors of some in the black community, not just uh, the leaders, you know, that have become so radical, but the black-on-black -black violence, uh, the uh, abortion rate that's really genocidal. And I know that Dr. King received an award from Margaret Sanger. Uh, she sought out uh, black pastors and leaders to push Planned Parenthood, and at the time, you know, the leaders, I believe that many of them at the time, not today, they actually thought Planned Parenthood was about setting down and planning how many children you were going to have, that it didn't have a hidden agenda, especially when it came to the black community. So he did receive an award from them. And, um, you know, Dr. King, um, his approach worked. Uh, uh, when he talked about judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin, uh, that moved uh, millions of Americans. And so we passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that banned discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, uh, and sex, and religion. we banned religious discrimination. And so we knew what kind of country we wanted um, America to be. And we tried to live up to our highest ideals. And what happened was that out of the civil rights movement, 
you know, of course, activists became involved and the Republican Party itself pushed, you know, for racial quotas. But that was never Dr. King's request. It was never the request of the black civil rights leaders uh, that came from white elites. And so gradually, our race relations in America has just declined and de deteriorated to the point that we're moving backwards, not forwards. Raise a lot of interesting points, Dr. Swain. And you know, as a you know former professor, you've spent obviously many years, much of your life in the academic uh, environment. Uh, this woke ideology that's permeating our education system—is it fair to say this would be counter to what Dr. King fought for? It's counter-American. I mean, it's not just Dr. King. Uh, it's not what America is about. Because if you start. Uh, dissecting, or let me use that word, deconstructing wokeness. You get to cultural Marxism and you deconstruct cultural Marxism. You get to economic Marxism. It's about overthrowing the American system and our way of life. And so, uh, you know, at the, the roots, you keep going back, you get to communism. And we know that millions of people around the world have lost their lives to communism, which has always promised that false utopia. And instead of a utopia, it's always brought death and, and, and degradation, degradation of people. And lastly, if, if, if I could ask you before we let you go, if you could tell the younger generation uh, why Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was so significant and effective, uh, what would you tell them? I, I believe that he was sincere. Uh, and he believed in um, the humanity and our innate goodness. And I would tell them that Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they have nothing in common with Dr. Martin Luther King and his vision. And there are progressives that have tried to hijack Dr. King's legacy. You know, Dr. King, like every human being in America, our founding fathers, and I claim the founding fathers as my founding fathers too. I mean, these were not perfect men, but these were people that had a vision and they were bigger than their vision and what they accomplished was much bigger than the individual. And I would tell the young people, don't allow yourself to be deceived. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And all of these ideas that are being pushed at the universities, these are failed theories. They will not bring about racial reconciliation and healing. They're very destructive to race relations. And the best that we can do is to respect uh, uh, each other as human beings in the image of God and the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so what we're doing out there, we're destroying people's lives. All the marching, all the complaining, all the pushing you know, for socialism, that's not going to help people uh, live better lives. And so for the young people, wake up. You're not woke. You're being deceived. Dr. Carol Swain, thank you so much for taking some time thank for you. joining us. And the House has recently passed an important bill on the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It bans the U.S. from exporting oil from the Strategic Reserve to China. In a rare show of bipartisanship, a large number of Democrats joined Republicans in voting for the bill. To discuss the bill, we spoke to leading industry expert Tom McNulty. Tom McNulty, thank you so much for joining us. Great to see you. Great to see you. Thanks. 
Tom, the issue of China seems to be one thing that most most Republicans and Democrats are agreeing upon on uh, Capitol Hill. Two votes this week, seeing the majority of Democrats joining Republicans. Uh, that one vote I'd like to ask you about is the vote to sell our strategic oil reserves to China, voting uh, against that, Democrats joining uh, Republicans. What exactly does this mean? Well, it looks like it was very bipartisan, as you pointed out. A lot of Democrats voted for it, and I think that... Um, I understand the sentiment. I, I get it. I think that it can be a little tricky. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve is a national security tool. It was developed uh, uh, in the mid-70s, you know, for specific reasons. And I think that uh, the focus should be on replenishing it. A huge amount of oil was drawn from it last year. And I think there were substantial political reasons for that to try to drive gasoline prices down before the election. That's really not what it was developed for. So again, the legislation I think is, I guess is fine. It's bipartisan. Uh, maybe it passes the Senate and is signed. Uh, but the bigger picture is how this SPR has been used. And that should be part of the debate and maybe part of another piece of legislation. Tom, with regard to managing uh, the China relationship, I want to uh, play a clip from Speaker McCarthy, get your reaction on the other side. Sure. And I've met with Leader Hakeem on this. This will be, Hakeem Jeffries, this will be a very bipartisan committee. Because I, I think it's very important. A number of reasons why I believe we have lost jobs to China, our intellectual property, because many times we don't speak with one voice from America. How important is it for the success of combating the China threat for both Democrats and Republicans to work together? Well, I think that it's interesting that it's bipartisan. It, it seems to be bipartisan, which means that there's a much greater a chance of success. As you probably well know, being in Washington, we have very divided government. Anything that is bipartisan uh, will get the attention worldwide because things will happen and get through. And I think that you know, our competition with China, whatever it's called, whatever the phase we're entering or in in our relationship with China, it's a challenging time. It's tricky. It has to be managed professionally and thoughtfully. And I think we need to be uh, fairly careful and thoughtful about everything that we do. It's a very large, powerful economy. And I think that now that it's getting the attention on the Hill in terms of trade, national security, energy, a lot of things are, are going to evolve over the next few years. I think it's a challenging time in the Asia-Pacific region. Indeed, Tom. Uh, the American people are suffering uh, from high oil prices uh, for their, you know, our daily usage. Why does the U.S. government even sell strategic oil to another country? If anything, can they release it, um, you know, to the market in the U.S. as initially intended to release a bit of that pressure at the pump for Americans? One of the biggest challenges in the energy complex, which is hard for people to understand, is a refinery complex was developed largely for foreign heavier crude oils. There are new refineries coming online that are built to run our lighter crude that you will have heard as WTI West, West Texas Intermediate. So it's often confusing as to why we would send oil overseas, bring foreign oil here to refine into diesel, gasoline, fuel, jet fuel, and lubricants. It's just a complexity that evolved in the 60s and 70s. I think the key is that our refinery complex has to be looked at, refitted, refurbished, and new greenfield refinery capacity needs to come online. As far as 
selling oil overseas. I mean, it's, it's again, I, what happened last year, I think, was very political. Attempts to drive down gasoline prices ahead of an election. That's not what the SPR is for. Uh, the United States has vast oil and gas reserves, and our production needs to come up. I've been saying for a while, we need to be headed to 15 million barrels a day. Somehow, some way, independent producers, small producers, and the big producers. And we also have a lot of natural gas that needs to be produced and made available for export to help ease problems uh, in Europe and even in Asia where natural gas demand is very high and the prices are a lot higher than natural gas prices here in the United States. Tom, lastly, before I let you go, how important is it to refill those strategic petroleum reserves and do you see this being a challenge at all? Uh, the DOE is having trouble actually filling it. I saw a report on that a couple of days ago. It's important to refill it. Uh, a large, large amount was pulled out last year. Again, it was developed in the mid-70s for geopolitical issues. Arguably, it was developed for almost, almost wartime threats and shocks. So that's what it exists for. It is a critical national security tool and needs to be replenished as fast as possible. The DOE runs it. I know they're trying to do this, but uh, the recent attempts to purchase crude didn't work out to replenish it. That needs to be done quickly over the next few weeks and months. It is dangerously low right now. Thomas McNulty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to see you. I appreciate your time. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.